Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Creative today. Yes, John, do you have a question already? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think you should. Go right ahead. That's a good idea. So here we are on our website, Living Messiah. If you go down to announcements, click that, and then go down to upcoming events, and then you'll and then we'll keep this up to date every every week where we're at. We're on 17, so you click that button, mm-hmm. and it takes you to for now anyway the My Hebrew Bible website. So. I don't know if you want to have that up or not. No, I do. I think that's a good idea. But okay. then you have to kind of... Keep an eye on it. Yeah, keep an eye on it so that we're not... Uh, I know it's, I know it's, it's okay. not your favorite translation, but... No, it doesn't matter. That, that's, but that's all matter. I got. Uh, I was going to say, we'll probably have to get some logistical kinks worked out so that you don't have to stand there all night, but we'll work some out. We could, we could put it over on the table right over there if you want to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all these other people have to move, though. Oh, well, there's no other <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> so I thought I would, uh, since somehow or another I got this creative bug, I thought I'd talk about Hanukkah for a few minutes. And since this class is supposed to be for people that are just, you know, beginning and don't know everything they need to know about Torah and all that kind of stuff, I just wanted to go over some of the basic stuff and talk about Hanukkah. Let's see. If you use the traditional uh, Jewish calendar, if you will, tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. Our calendar, the one we use here in the congregation, is a little bit different because we reckon the uh, new moon a little bit differently than the way the the Jewish people do or the sages. Uh, we last night was when we were we observed it. Last night was the first night of Hanukkah. If you look at a calendar, a normal calendar that uh, is around in the world, it says tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. So we're a day off. But we've already talked about how, as a congregation, we understand there are a lot of differences in the way people keep a calendar. We had to choose one, so we chose one. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether you started last night or you start tonight. Um, it's the first night of Hanukkah. So I thought I'd... Uh, hi, Margaret. thought I'd just ask some questions. If you... Let's see. Where would you go to find out about the holidays that are in the Torah? That's a very good point, our website. Where would you go in the Bible or the Torah to find out about the holidays that are in the Torah? Leviticus 23 is where you'd go, and they're listed there. What's the first holiday that's listed? Shabbat. Shabbat, yeah. And so that's, that's uh, they're, they're called Moed. Moedim is the plural, and moed means an appointment, an appointed time. Uh, And it carries with it the idea of a rehearsal. But anyway, so the first one that's listed is Shabbat. And then it lists the next seven of them. And those seven 
are the holidays that are in the Torah, the ones that are, have been um, defined by God as his appointed times. Okay, beg your pardon? Sorry, I'm interrupting you. Okay. So I went to Leviticus 11, and it's got the outline right there of all the various dates. Okay. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. Except it's Leviticus 23, but I get it. Okay, so um, of those holidays, of the Torah-based holidays, there's seven of them. Um, the way to remember them is they're in a set of three, and then one, and then three. Uh, who can tell me what the first three holidays are? Beg your pardon? Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits are the uh, first, yeah, first fruits. That's we'll call it that. It's got sometimes it goes by different names, but there's three of them that occur within a week. The Passover starts the feast of unleavened bread. The feast of unleavened bread goes for seven days. At one point in those seven days will be a regular Shabbat, and that's the start of the first fruit. So there's three that come in the springtime, all within a week. What's the next one that comes kind of by itself? Shavuot. Shavuot means Shava. Sheva is seven. So Shavuot is sevens. It's the plural of seven. And it's because there's seven Shabbats, seven sevens, which is 49. The day after that is 50. That Pentecost is Greek for 50. So that all of that fits in. All of that's the same thing. And so that ends up falling in the neighborhood of June, early June, something like that. And then there are three in the fall. What are those? Rosh Hashanah or um, Feast of Trumpets. Yom Kippur. Sukkot. Yeah, Sukkot. Tabernacles. Okay, so there's three, one, and three, and there's seven. And those are the feasts that are defined in the Torah. Okay, so where's Hanukkah there? Hanukkah. <laughs> in the New Testament. Well, yes. There's uh, what I thought as we talk about that a little bit. There's two others that are... Well, there are many others that are observed in Judaism, but there are two others that are scriptural, if you will. One of them is Purim, or the uh, uh, Feast of Lots. It's, it's uh, <clears throat> Esther. It's, it's the holiday. By the way, the word holiday, do you know? I mean, even in English, what is holiday, really? Holy day, right? So it's, it's a set-apart day. That's what holy means, set-apart. So these are days that have been defined by God to be set apart um, to observe something for him. Holidays, the ones in the Torah have two purposes. One purpose is to commemorate something that he has done for us, his people in the past, and the other is as preparation for something he's going to do in the future. Talk more about that. That's a sidetrack. But anyway, so we've got Purim. Where, I guess I gave it away already. Where, where is it in the Bible that says that we're to observe Purim? Ezra? Esther. Esther. It's in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, great book. It's a lot of fun to read the book of Esther. And at the, toward the end of the book of Esther, it talks about uh, on this day in the month of Adar, uh, every year uh, the Israelites celebrate the, the, the way the Jews escape destruction at the hands of the, what would it be, the Persians, if you will. Um, due to this evil guy named Haman. You can go read all about that if you want. So that's Purim. So then we're still left with Hanukkah. Um, so I, like I say, this, I'm doing, I hope you guys are all right with this. Where do you read about Hanukkah? 
John 10. What? Well, John 10 is, we'll get there. That's an oblique, if you ask me, kind of reference in the New Testament. It only mentions it, is all it does. But we'll talk about it. But wh what would you read about it if you, didn't, if you wanted well, something more than that? For, for Hanukkah? Mm -hmm. So my understanding is, might be a little loud, um, it's a delayed Sukkot. So, oh, you, oh I'm sorry. That's, I'm being silly. It's in the, uh, it's in the uh, Apocrypha. Apocrypha. Okay. Yes. So I brought my special Hatsi Tatsi book with the Apocrypha, the Bible with the Apocrypha in it. And so I thought I'd, you know, the Apocrypha. Does it, you know what Apocrypha means? It's Greek. Extra books or hidden, hidden, hidden. These are if you if you if you're into history and you read all the way to the end of the Old Testament and you get to Malachi, the events in Malachi are about um, they're they're just after the Persians have taken control of the Middle East, and then you go to Matthew one, and the Romans are running Israel, right? So there's about four hundred years between when the Persians were running Israel and when the Romans were running Israel. And during this 400 years, the Persians got defeated by the Greeks, and the Greeks got overrun by the Romans. And none of that stuff is in the current Old Testament, New Testament. All of the stuff that went on is in, any, any reference to it, scripturally speaking, is in the Apocrypha. And whenever they, the people that decided what needed to be in the Bible needed to be in the Bible, this process they call canonization, they decided that the Apocrypha didn't belong there. Yes? Well, I think it's almost like the other way around. They took Apocrypha out, I think, a yes. lot. Because yes. it was in the Catholic Bible, all except for one. Yeah, it still is. And I mean, one it, it doesn't matter that it's in the Catholic Bible, because Catholics don't usually read their Bible anyway. Well, that's but. true. <laughs> I mean... But it's in the Catholic Bible. I, it, was in the, it was in the... What's the, the Bible that the Americans used? The... Uh, a revised standard? No, they found it way back before it was even okay. Yeah, now there's another one too, Genesis by I forget what it is, but okay, it 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 was in it's 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 not right to just say that it was never in there. It was, oh no no it no, was taken fact, out a lot. Here's here's a, right. a Bible that is in there, the New English Bible with apocrypha. Okay, and I I read about this. I thought this was a kind of interesting Bible. It's uh. The New English translation, planned and directed by representatives of the Baptist Union of Great Britain and Ireland, the Church of England, the Church of Scotland, the Congregational Church of England and Wales, uh, the Irish Council of Churches, the Methodist Church of Great Britain, the Presbyterian Church of England, the British and Foreign Bible Study, and the National Bible Society of Scotland. So, clearly British, right? But this, I look kind of like this Bible. I don't do a lot in it. But the main thing I like about it, of course, is that they have down here... The Apocrypha. So after Malachi, you have, uh, let me go and see if I can find this here. Well, it's not after Malachi. The order is a little bit different. The, see what I mean? It is after Malachi. I lied. The first book of Esdras, the second book of Esdras, Tobit, Judith, the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, or the wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sirach, Baruch, a letter of Jeremiah, the song of three, Daniel and Susanna, Daniel, Bell and the snake, 
the prayer of Manasseh, the first book of the Maccabees, and the second book of the Maccabees. So where does it talk about Hanukkah? Okay, so that's, where's Hanukkah? Maccabees, right. The story of Hanukkah is told in the Maccabees. That's the, so, Irish, the Irish Jews? <laughs> the Maccabees? Yeah, that's pretty good. So um, there's first Maccabees and second Maccabees. Or they're Scottish. This was, the Maccabees is the story of this family of Jews that lived during the time of the Greek ascendancy and occupation of, of Israel. Okay? So the Greeks were really into promoting their culture. They felt like the Greek culture was far superior to anything else, and so they were real insistent about wiping out other cultures and replacing it with the Greek culture. So needless to say, all these uh, Jews who are left and still committed to the covenant were, you know, had to be adamantly opposed to that because they, um, the Greeks, you know, were just wipe, trying to wipe out Judaism, if you will. Um, in particular, there was a, a Greek ruler at the time of the Maccabees named Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes um, thought he was God, and so he, since he was running things, um, kind of converted the temple in Jerusalem to a temple of worship of the Greek gods. And he erected statues of all the Greek gods, and he sacrificed pigs and stuff in there. Well, needless to say, all the Jews realized that that was a pretty abhorrent thing to do, and those that didn't die trying to fight it, left. And the Maccabees, there's a, the father I think was named Judah Maccabee, and he had a bunch of sons. Uh, they lived out in the hinterland somewhere and were against this. And the story is long, you know, it's fairly long, but the Maccabees essentially revolted. The Antiochus Epiphanes sent a bunch of his um, men around outside to the outer, you know, outside of Jerusalem and found all these Jews that were still living out in the farmland or whatever and were demanding that they worship Antiochus Epiphanes and the Greek gods. And many of them wouldn't do it. And so they killed them. Um, so the Maccabees, uh, the father and their sons, uh, revolted. And the, the story of the first and second Maccabees is how this revolt went. And if you go to the first Maccabees, you turn in your Bibles to first Maccabees, right? I'm just going to read it to you, if you don't mind. Um, so the Maccabees were essentially successful. Uh, and they, they had an uprising. I think if they were successful for lots of reasons, the main one being that God blessed their effort, but the other one being that the, the Greek, um, all of these you know, dominating empires always kind of go through a cycle where they kind of ascend and get real powerful and, and you know, acquire different nations and kind of run the, run the roost for a while and then they start decaying and then they fall apart usually from the inside. You can, you can go back and trace that through almost all of the civilizations in history. And so the Maccabees were successful partly because of that. The Greeks were, were getting weak, if you will. So let's see. This reads, I like this Bible because it reads just real simply. You know, it's, it's, it's real English. They, um, they, they were successful. They, they ran the, the Greeks out of Jerusalem. 
And so I'm going to start here in chapter 4, verse 36, and just read to you guys. But Judas and his brothers said, Now that our enemies have been crushed, let us go up to Jerusalem and cleanse the temple to rededicate it. So the whole army was assembled and went up to Mount Zion. There they found the temple laid waste, the altar profaned, the gates burned down, the courts overgrown like a thicket or a wooded hillside, and the priests' rooms in ruins. They tore their garments, wailed loudly, and put ashes on their heads and fell on their faces to the ground. They sounded the ceremonial trumpets and cried aloud to heaven. So they were horrified at what the Greeks had done to the temple. Then Judas detailed troops to engage the garrison of the citadel while he cleansed the temple. He selected priests without blemish, devoted to the law, and they purified the temple, removing to an unclean place the stones which defiled it. They discussed what to do with the altar of burnt offering, which was profaned, and rightly decided to demolish it for fear it might become a standing reproach to them because it had been defiled by the Gentiles. They therefore pulled down the altar and stored away the stones in a fitting place on the temple hill until a prophet should arise who's, who could be consulted about them. They took unhewn stones, as the law commands, and built a new altar on the model of the previous one. They rebuilt the temple and restored its interior and consecrated the temple courts. They renewed the sacred vessels and the lampstand and brought the altar of incense and the table into the temple. They burnt incense on the altar and lit the lamps on the lampstand to shine within the temple. When they had put the bread of presence on the table and hung the curtains, all their work was completed. Then early on the 25th day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev in the year 148, which corresponds to a year 164 BC, a sacrifice was offered, as the law commands, on, a newly, on the newly made altar of burnt offering. On the anniversary of the day when the Gentiles had profaned it, on that very day it was rededicated with hymns of thanksgiving to the music of harps and lutes and cymbals. All the people prostrated themselves, worshiping and praising heaven that their cause had prospered. They celebrated the rededication of the altar for eight days. There was great rejoicing as they brought burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings. They decorated the front of the temple with golden wreaths and ornamental shields. They renewed the gates and the priest rooms and fitted them with doors. There was great merrymaking among the people, and the disgrace brought on them by the Gentiles was removed. And then Judas, his brothers, and the whole congregation of Israel decreed that the rededication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness at that same season each year for eight days, beginning on the 25th of Kislev. So that's Hanukkah. That's what they're doing. It says every year on the 25th day of Kislev, they're to celebrate for eight days the rededication of the temple after the Maccabees were successful in taking it away from the Greeks and cleansing it and rededicating it. So Hanukkah is often called the Feast of Dedication. Um, now there's, there's nothing in even this scripture about the so-called miracle of Hanukkah. The miracle of Hanukkah has to do with the fact that the oil that burns in the lamps in the menorah is a special oil. You've read about it in Exodus. It talks about the formula for making this oil, and this oil is to be used only for the purpose of lighting these lamps, and it takes quite a while to make it. And they didn't have enough oil to made to light the lamps for eight days. They only had enough for about one. 
But they filled the lamps, lit them anyway, and the miracle is that the lamps stayed lit for eight days, even though they didn't have enough oil to do it. Um, so that's, that's, that's the story of Hanukkah. Yes? So the miracle part is like a rabbinic store, midrash, or mm -hmm. it's not actually in the, it doesn't actually describe it in the, in the Maccabees? It's not described in the Apocrypha, or the Maccabees. It's described in the, what, what's the, the oral law? The Talmud? Yes. Yes. Okay. There's lots of discussion about it in the Talmud. Okay. So I, I just wanted to do that. So what they do is, is they typically have these uh, things here that have, you've seen them. They, some people call them menorahs, but they're not really the menorah because menorah has seven candles. And these, if you will, have nine. And one of them is always different than the other eight. These eight represent one each for eight days of Hanukkah. And this ninth one is what they call the Hamash, or the helper candle. And the way you typically do this is on the first day of Hanukkah, you put a candle in the, in the helper thing, and you put one here, and you light the helper candle, and with it, you light the first one. And then on the second day, the second evening, you put one in here, and you put one here and one here. You put in two candles, and you'd light the helper candle and use it to light the first two. And then on the third day, you'd do it three, and then on the fourth day, you put four, all the way up to the eighth day. And the eighth day, you put this one in. On the evening of the eighth day, you put one in all of these, and you use this one to light all of them, and that's the eight days of Hanukkah. Now, this, this little thing here, these are quite artistic in, in Jewish culture. Um, they sometimes call these, not menorahs, sometimes they do call them menorahs, but they often call them Hanukkah. Hanukkah, Hanukkah, this is the, the candelabra, one of many. And you'll see them all over the place. You know, there are many different styles, many different configurations, but they all have the same thing in common. They have eight identical candle spots and one that's different. And this is one. Uh, Jewish friends that we have, known for almost 40 years, bought this for us as a gift one time. So we've always gotten that out. So tonight, being the second night of Hanukkah, brought candles, brought the whole nine yards, so I thought I'd just stick them on here and we'd do it. Now, typically, um, there are prayers that, that are said. You can read about them. You can get them on the internet if you want to. I'm not really prepared to, uh, to do that, but I would like to light the candles anyway and just say a little thing to... So normally you put it in the window, right? Beg your pardon? You can put it in a window? I mean, that's a traditional yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. now, there, I want, I want, I'm going to talk in a minute about, I can talk about it now before we light them. Traditions associated with Hanukkah. All of these holidays have traditions. And if there's one thing we should have learned, Ralphie talks about it on Shabbats, is, you know, it's real important to understand the difference between traditions and scriptures. You know, the, when the scripture tells you what to do, that you do. But the scripture is a lot of times awfully vague about what you want to do. Typically, it goes along the lines of do no work and assemble together. That's, that's usually what, what's involved. Um, sometimes there's things like uh, you're to deny yourself on uh, Yom Kippur and some of these other things. Most of the holy days defined in scripture are joyous occasions, uh, with the exception of the Day of Atonement. And this one is no exception. Where I was going with the, with the traditions idea is sometimes some traditions are good because they reinforce 
the meaning, the history, the idea of what's going on. You know, like in um, Passover tradition, they have the Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word that means the telling. And every year at Passover, the host tells the story of Passover, tells, you know, what happened and why, why do we do this every day, the kids want to know, or every year. And he tells the story of how God uh, heard the Israelites in Egypt and freed them, led them out of Egypt. So some of those traditions are great. Some, not so much. My wife really has a hard time because they, they have traditional plates that you put the, some of the elements of Passover on these plates, like the marar, which are the bitter herbs, and some of these different things. And a lot of these plates have a place for the egg. And this just drives her crazy because there's no egg in the story. There's, and the egg, if anything, kind of alludes to Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, so she's really irritated about the egg. She really likes the plate, but that's part of the tradition that she thinks she ought to throw out. You know? So the, the point of that story is whenever you have these traditions, you look at them and you decide, do they fit with Scripture? Do they support Scripture? Or are they not supportive of Scripture? And you, you, you do what Ralphie tells you. You, you determine whether a, a tradition is worth it. Okay? Now, where was I going with that? I had some thought about that. Oh, the traditions of, of uh, Hanukkah are kind of interesting. Um, one of the traditions that I'm particularly fond of is, for whatever reason, food that's cooked with oil is real popular. I don't know why, but that includes jelly-filled donuts and potato latkes. And I happen to think both of those are pretty cool. So potato latkes and jelly, jelly donuts are pretty neat. Uh, <laughs> say what? Bring donuts. That's why he said bring donuts. Um, I don't know of any other traditions specifically with Hanukkah that are neither good nor bad. There's a game they play uh, called dreidel. It's, uh, I don't have one with me, but it's a little kind of a top thing, a four-sided deal that you spin and it lands, and, and you have one Hebrew letter that comes up. It's like rolling a die, and there's a, a kind of a silly, silly gambling game you play trying to collect coins from one another, and they, they do that. There's a lot of traditions. Again, I could have done a better job, I suppose, of reinforce or learning more about these traditions and trying to see how they reinforce something good or not. But I just wanted to point out that all of the holidays have traditions, and God typically doesn't have a whole lot of recommendations or um, commands concerning the traditions. But you got to be careful. You, you should, you know, you should kind of think about them. Anyway. Okay, are there any questions? Polly? Mm hmm. Okay. Well, he'll, he'll, we'll do better if we'll let you talk in the microphone because then everybody else can hear too. One of the traditional um, stories we have heard is that they were forbidden to teach their children Hebrew. So the dreidel game was one way they were able to continue to teach their children um, the Hebrew language. Um, when they would, you know, come in, you know, Roman soldiers would ask, what are you doing? We're just gambling. Yeah. And really they were teaching their children the Hebrew language. Also the four letters, you might talk about what, no, no, I don't know, so why don't you okay. tell me? Okay, so the four letters on the Hebrew, um, I, I mean, on the dreidel, uh, if I get them right, are a gimel, a noon, a uh, 
Sheen. A Dalit? And possibly a Dalit. I'll have to look at the fourth okay. one. Anyway, they stand for four Hebrew words, and I'm not going to remember them all. Mark, probably, maybe you can chime in if you remember what they are. But it was a great miracle happened here. Okay. Dreidels sold in Israel have the here, which is what? The Dalit? Yeah, so when it's there in Israel, it's a great miracle happened here. So when yes, so dreidels that are sold elsewhere outside of Israel do not have the. They have a different letter. I think it's a. Is what is there po? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so they have a pay. Okay. On and and that is a great miracle happened there. Ah. So I was gonna look. We have a dreidel in the. Okay. Cupboard here. I'll see what letter it has on it. (laughs) (laughs) Po does po mean there? Zipo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I can't. I can't remember. My, that's. We don't speak Hebrew near enough around here. Okay. Well, I have to. Look okay, at that's fine. You go ahead. Um, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Was just talk about it. I mean, like I say, you guys are all pretty well acquainted with all this stuff. But on the other hand, I figured if it never hurts to go back and talk about it because if nothing else, it serves to do what the whole idea of the holiday was in the first place, which is to remember why it's there. And number two, it can't help like I didn't know that about the dreidel. You know, you, you can always add a little stuff to it. So, is that right? Yeah. Now, what, what it has come down to mean uh, in this period of time is is that it's you know it's commonly thought of as the Jewish Christmas, okay? But that's that's only because it occurs in a similar time of the year. Ah, and John had mentioned you did too, Margaret, that it's a uh, it's in the New Testament. Well, it's only one place in the New Testament, but I thought we'll go there and talk about it. It's in John chapter ten. So you, if you want to turn to John chapter ten, I'm going to read about it. Um, and start in verse 22. John chapter 10, verse 22. It was winter, and the festival of dedication was being held in Jerusalem. Okay? So it was winter, tells you Kislev, and the festival of dedication was being held in Jerusalem is Hanukkah. The festival of dedication is Hanukkah. Okay? says, Jesus was walking in the temple precincts in Solomon's portico. The Jews gathered round him and asked, How long must you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, say so plainly. And I, I have told you, said Jesus, but you do not believe. My deeds done in my Father's name are my credentials, but because you are not sheep of my flock, you don't believe. My own sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them from my care. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's care. My Father and I are one. So I read that last part just to see if we can tie this festival of dedication to that, that idea. So the, the point is, is Hanukkah is in the New Testament. Although if you didn't know that the festival of dedication was that, you wouldn't know it. And uh, it's it. That's all that. That's the only reference to it. Is there? 
Any other thoughts? Okay. Back to the what made it defiled. Yes. I just find it ironic that the thing that made it defiled was he put a pig on the on the altar, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what is the highest tradition, the highest holiday in most of Christianity? Easter. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, they eat Easter ham. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, they do well, that in Christmas too. Christmas too. But yeah, I, I guess if if I think if Christians understood how offensive that was to Jews, well, the gut. Forget Jews, how about God? <laughs> yeah, how about God? <laughs> Fair point. Good point. Good point. I know the other point I was going to make, though, is that I think it's important when you're looking at all of this stuff to make sure and look at it in context. So, uh, you know, if you, don't, if you don't know about the fact that the Greeks, the Greeks really were ruthless about trying to wipe out Judaism. You know, they didn't want that in their in their empire at all. And uh, it's a great testimony to the Jews and God that they weren't successful. Yeah. I guess it would be in the book of Daniel where it talks about the, the empires mm -hmm. and how the Rome, you know. Yep. I guess you could say that is kind of a biblical... Mm -hmm. reference to that. Yep, that's fair point. That's fair point. Okay. Margaret, got one? Yeah, the, if you read the Maccabees, there was three things there that they um, were forbidding the Jews from observing. Uh, circumcision. Yep. The Sabbath. Yep. It was something else. Was it a celebration of the, of the feast days? Or no? Oh, the, the idols. Food to idols. Okay. So they, they were required to. Well, the, the Greeks, like I say, they were, depending on the time we're talking about, during the occupation by the Greeks, they, again, they were pretty ruthless. And their influence was known in the time of Jesus, too, because the Sadducees were, uh, I, I, I got that, and the answer is yes. <laughs> anyway, the Sadducees were, were highly Greek oriented. You know, and one of the things we may not have talked about before, but there's a big difference in Greek thinking and Hebrew thinking. You know, the way the way Greeks, the way we have been taught and and to think about things and to learn things is much different than the way the Hebrew method. We talk about that sometimes. But in the meantime, I'm going to light the second Hanukkah candle and we'll do that. So I just felt like we ought to do this just because. You can buy these Hanukkah candles at many stores. So you're supposed to take the first one. You like the second one? Or the first one? I'm sorry. You like the real, these are the Hanukkah candles. This is called the humash, the helper candle. I don't know. There's lots of different traditions. I can't remember whether you're supposed to blow that first one out or not. But it doesn't matter. I, you know, again, <laughs> that's what we need Lisa for. She'd tell us all about how to do this. But uh, I don't have all the details down, but I'm resting on the fact that God will bless us for doing it, even though we may not be doing it 
exactly right. However, given the instructions that we have, this is probably as good as any, right? Uh, Margaret? Every night. That's fine. Okay, when you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let me just bless the, the lighting of the candles, and then we'll go on. Well, Father God, thank you for Hanukkah. Thank you for the, the lessons that it can teach us. Thank you for the things that it... Uh, the, thank you for the questions that it makes us ask. Um, I just ask that you bless us this week. Help us to think about it every night, and when we can, light the candles, and just keep us safe, and I'd ask that you bless our get-together on Shabbat, Erev Shabbat, whenever we have our uh, Hanukkah celebration and usury. In Yeshua's name, amen. Which is Thursday. Uh, no, it's Friday. Friday, I mean. Friday afternoon. Right. Friday afternoon, we're going to take a bunch of stuff up to usury, you know, and we're having our um, Erev Shabbat dinner, dinner up there, and it's a celebration. I'm making my chili, so... We're going to be going up there and doing that. There it is on the website. A little map. There's a map to Usury Park. Yep. In case you, if you need to know how to get to Usury Park, the easiest way to do it is to find Ellsworth Road and go north. And uh, when you run out of Mesa, then just go a little bit farther and on your right, big thing, Usury uh, Regional Park or whatever. Okay. I wanted to do that because I thought it was important just to talk about it since we are in the holiday of Hanukkah and we might as well deal with it. But I didn't want to neglect going to the Torah. So we'll do that. Oh, did you bring some donuts? Well, thank you. Well, that's all right. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, last week we were in, uh, in chapter 17. Um, we talked, uh, there's a first section in chapter 17 talking about worshiping other gods and, and God has made it clear to us here in this section of Deuteronomy the same thing that he has made clear to us previously in Deuteronomy and several times throughout the Torah, which is he really doesn't want us, his people, to worship other gods. It's the, the what is it, the first commandment, the second commandment, whatever how you want to count, Thou shalt have no other gods beside me, or in addition to me, or whatever. You know, worship me and me alone, and worship me in the way I said. Don't worship me in some other way, and don't worship some other god. And so he just said it again, in case we didn't get it the first 14 times. And then in verse 8, we, we ended verse 8 talking about uh, uh, the law courts, and how you're to appoint judges um, in your communities to uh, decide cases. And if the cases are too hard for you, you can send them to the experts or Supreme Court, to some degree, in Jerusalem, and they'll decide the case. And whatever decision they make, that's it. And you better do what the judge said. So we talked about that. One of the things that came up, and I, this is why I like doing this, is that we tried to decide, well, did the judges have to be Levites? And uh, I think I've concluded that no, they didn't have to be Levites. They were people uh, that God essentially chose, uh, but the people should um, essentially ratify, if you will. Um, wasn't necessarily like running for senator, I don't think. But anyway, the, the, the judges didn't necessarily come from the Levites. Anyway, that's where we are. So that puts us in Deuteronomy chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. 
I think we talked about this, but I don't think we discussed it in great detail. It's the king. This is one of your favorite sections, John. Right. So I wondered if somebody wanted to read um, Deuteronomy 17 from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Well, we didn't do, did we do 14? I don't, uh, I don't think we did that section. If we did, I wanted to talk about it for another couple of minutes. The, Where the do you want to start? That verse 14. Right, to, right, okay. Verse 14 to the end of the chapter. I don't think we talked about it. We might have. No, we did. I just. Uh, 17, 14. Yeah. When you come to the land which Yahweh your Elohim has given you, then you shall possess it and shall dwell in it. And you shall say, let me set a sovereign over me like all the Gentiles that are around me. You shall certainly set a sovereign over you whom Yahweh your Elohim shall choose. Set a sovereign over you from among your brothers. You are not allowed to set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he is not to increase horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Mitzrayim to increase horses. For Yahweh has said to you, do not return that way again. And he is not to increase wise for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor is he to greatly increase silver and gold for himself. And it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his reign, that he shall write for himself a copy of this Torah in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he learns to fear Yahweh, his Elohim, and guard all the words of this Torah and these laws to do them, so that his heart is not lifted up above his brothers, and so as not to turn aside from the command right or left, so that he prolongs his days in his reign, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Okay. So this is... There's, I think we should camp here for a while and talk about this for a few minutes. Um, so when the Israelites, notice when you enter the land, the, and, and the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. So he's, it's not like uh, if, it's when, right? So he's assuming that this is going to happen. Um, anyway, if that happens, uh, what, what are some of the characteristics? Um, how are you supposed to choose, and how is the king supposed to behave? Should be an Israelite. It can't be a foreigner. What else? Beg your pardon? No, can't increase horses. Then can't enrich himself. Um, another one? Well, yes, is right. They can't have more wives. Now, from what we know of subsequent uh, Israelite history, how well did they do with that? Not so much. Not so good, right? They did, they did virtually all of those things, right? Right. Um, and then... Oh, um, they're not supposed to do those oh, things. Oh, oh, I missed that word not, huh? <laughs> We're on chapter 17, Deuteronomy 17. 14 through the end of the chapter. Um... The question that John and I both kind of like to talk about is, did God intend for Israel to have a king? No. Well, besides Yahweh, no. Besides Yahweh, no, yeah. He wanted to be their king. 
And again, because I'm just kind of built this way, I wanted to go back and show where that's being said. So, if you guys don't mind taking another little rabbit trail, go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Got to go there. Got to go there. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, Samuel, uh, during, let's see, after, um, after Deuteronomy comes uh, Joshua. Joshua talks all about the conquest of Canaan and the division of the land among the different tribes. And then the book of Judges. The book of Judges talks about the period after the uh, Israelites had pretty much, you know, settled in, the, uh, in Canaan and how they did. You know, the, the adventurers, if you will, as, as they began to occupy and live and, and create their nation. And uh, they had a lot, of, a lot of problems and God would raise up what they've called judges. Uh, the judges were people that he chose, God chose, and uh, they weren't elected by the people, and they weren't necessarily from the Levites. They were people that God chose that had, um, I guess, the heart to do this, and they would bring correction to the people, and things would go better. And then a few years would pass, and... But then they would go away, right? Yeah, well, well they would die, or whatever. They would go away. The judges would go away one way or the other. Yeah. To, to, it was like an emergency or something that's uh, threatening. The, it's like a military threat mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. country, and so they create a king, and then once that threat's gone, as I understand it, the, the they go judge. back to the way they... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you can argue, I'd like to know this for a fact, and I don't. You could argue that that was, notwithstanding the mistakes that they were making, that was the way God intended Israel to be run. You know, he, the judges which is kind of, judges, I don't know the exact word that was used, but it's kind of tantamount to a king, except it's not quite what we think of as kings, or what, well, let me, let me not go into that. I'm getting myself in trouble. Let me just read First uh, Samuel chapter 8. Starting at the beginning. I'll just read some, and then we'll talk about it, okay? First Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. Samuel was a judge. Um, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, needless to say, God couldn't have been happy with that. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to Yahweh, and Yahweh told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of Yahweh to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, 
and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his attendants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and the donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, and Yahweh will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before Yahweh. And Yahweh answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go back to his town. So I think that's an important piece of scripture, without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you, you want to go first? Um, well, you know, this is the beginning of bureaucracy. Uh, here, here. <laughs> I mean, really, yep. you think of what's going on nowadays, and it's no, it's just of, like this. It's just like this. It's just like this. this. Absolutely, absolutely. So I have a, a beef with Samuel, unless I'm misunderstanding something. As I understand the judges, when the king was, that, that king was, was, did his job, it wasn't like, well, who's the next one in line to take no, over my reign? I think you're right. It was like, I did my job, I'm out of here. Yeah. So here, it's like they're looking for his sons, so the question is, why, why do they want this, uh, this her uh, what would you call it, inheritance or... A dynasty. Uh, dynasty, yeah. yeah. Well, mean, that's a very good question. Let's see. Um, as we were reading through there... Why doesn't Samuel say, I, these sons aren't worthy of... I don't care if they're my sons or not. I'm not here to make a dynasty. Well, he, number one, Samuel was probably a little bit blind to that fact. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But the other thing was it says... Um, as a son. When Samuel grew old, first verse, 8 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. Okay, so do you think what you're saying is you don't think that God told him to appoint his sons? Well, this is not according, this is a new, it's, yeah, it's a new pattern. It's a new a, rule. <coughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. This technically isn't the first time this happened. If you go back and read Gideon, and read, uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but if you read Gideon and read, one of his sons was like a king for 30 days. Is that right? I think. And they had the same, it, it, this, the, the, the pattern has sort of already been established that we wanted, and I think it even says we want a king like mm -hmm. the well, nations. Uh, the... Certainly, it makes reference here, and I could believe that all the neighboring nations had dynasties, right? Whenever one king died, it was, it was typically one of his heirs, his son, that would take over. So the model had been established in the surrounding societies. It's just God never said that's the model he wanted. Right, their whole, their whole argument is, well, everybody else is doing it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I tried that on my mom a lot when I was growing up. I think you got two different job descriptions mm -hmm. because Samuel was a judge. He wasn't a king. There's similarity, though. There, there's similar, but God didn't set him up as a king. He, he was there to make rulings, I assume. Mm -hmm. He was there to do... But, but a king is, is, he looks at everybody like they're his subjects, mm -hmm. and he owns them. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, to me, it's a different job, completely. Well, I, I think that's a good segue because it plays into the second part of this passage in Deuteronomy where it says, said, this is Moses talking to the people. He says, when he, the king, takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write himself a scroll of the copy of this law taken from the priest. We'll talk about that. It is to be with him and he's to read it all the days of his life and learn to revere the Lord and not consider himself better than his brothers, and turn from the law to the right or the left, and then he and his descendants will reign. Oh, I guess it was above that. It says, you're not to, must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray, not to have many horses, not to acquire wealth. So he's already warning this, that this is likely to happen. Yeah. So. No, no, I agree. Well, but he, but he implies that he wants to, it's that way in the sense that he's, he wants to have his sons be the, the next ones. Whatever office he has is going to get transferred to his sons. Yeah. I have a question. Then was it, was it really supposed to be passed down through the sons? I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking not. I, I, I was wondering about that too. I don't yeah. really think so necessarily. I, I don't have a, a clear answer, but... Marvin's got something else. Well, did Samuel show that he was, he didn't believe God was going to bring up another judge to replace him when he got so he couldn't do it? The judges in the book of Judges, they weren't, they were just there for a while. They, they yeah. didn't, they didn't like, well, we need the judges for the next 500 years. No, 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 no that's you true. go solve your problem and they go away. Yes, that's true. And furthermore, they came from just wherever. They right. weren't. They weren't just. Uh, they weren't. Uh, you know, the Samuel's an Ephraimite, I think. He might have been. I, I don't remember. But the point is, is I, I, it's obvious to me. It's obvious, if nothing else, that God didn't intend for Israel to have a king. I, I think probably the judges served for their lifetime, but there could have been more than one judge at any time. Mm -hmm. Just like in the Book of Judges, the one. These are the ones that stood out you know, during times of crisis yeah. or whatever. but they, they came together typically in times of crisis. Yeah. It's almost like But I think there was worked. always a judge, though, probably well, more now, or less. If, if, again, I guess we should really kind of go do a word study on this. But if we use the word judge the way we've been reading about judges, that is, when matters come up, you are to judge them. You, know, you are to appoint for yourselves judges. And if they can't decide the matter, take it to Jerusalem. You know, that's the word judge. So maybe those are who these people were. And those would be likely candidates to uh, fix problems, you know, big problems. Um, but again, even then, it doesn't say it's a lifetime position. Yeah. So Gideon, they, they wanted Gideon to be a king, right? I don't know. Or I think they wanted him to. And he says, no, I don't, that's not what, that, that's wrong. Am I right? Well, they wanted know, I, him to, to pass on, yeah, they wanted him to be more than what he was. More than the judge that he was. Right. You're, you're right when you say these judges typically rose up for a, 
not only for a limited time, but for a special purpose. Right. Yeah, they weren't, uh, they weren't like, okay, now that I've done that job, I can do all the others for you too. No, right. that's not the way it was, yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's interesting. I mean, what he said, what did God say? He says, it's not, it's not you go that they have rejected as king, it's me. So therefore, who's the first king? Yeah. God. God. Yeah. Yeah. Who's up? <laughs> oh, I was just reading about Gideon, but he, he didn't even want to be a judge. But uh, it says the angel of the Lord came up to him. And yeah. uh, he, he was making excuses, kind of like Moses. You yeah. Know, like, I, yeah. I'm not worthy. I can't yeah. do it. Yep, yep, yep. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's something to that. What's the Hebrew word for judge compared to prophet? I don't know. I don't know. Somebody that's better at Hebrew than, than I am. We what can look right on the website. <laughs> Dean is judgment. Shaf, shaf team is judges. Yeah, shaf team is judges, and, and shafta, you know, shaf. It's a, you know, shafte whatever is judge. It, that's the judge. I mean, that's the word for judge, shaf. But the thing, the thing is. But I think Gideon he got a lot of flack. Mm -hmm. Because they said that he wasn't the right heritage. Is that right? Isn't that what Gideon... No, I, we'd have to go back and really study that. I'm not familiar enough with the story to, to speak on it. Really. Right, so, I mean... But that's good homework for you guys. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> but I, so up the, there on the, the screen... I was just going to say, the bigger question is, how did God intend for Israel to be ruled? You know? Oh. Uh, number eight, word number eight. Shoftim, that's what, that's in the first verse, and I'll look up, uh, you'll let me, I'll look up, where does it say kings? Sharon, a king, a king, on verse 9. Melech, how oh, Melech? Melech, well, Melech, we knew Melech was king, right. didn't we? Prophet, it would be Navi, or Navim, prophets. Yeah, that's a good point. Nevi is prophet, and so, Melek is king, and Shaf, or Shaftim is judge, yeah? So to answer your question, what did God intend for us? Mm -hmm. If you don't have a king over, what are you? You're a sovereign. Okay, so he intended every man to, to act appropriately so you, that... You govern yourself. You govern yourself. Now, God is a king in the heavenly realm, if you will, but on earth... You are self-governing. You're a, you're a sovereign. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you want a king, you have to turn in your sovereignty cards. Which most people have. Well, my Rabbi, Rabbi Westerman says that, yeah, yeah, you're a sovereign, but you're not really a sovereign because, you know, you have to, you have to submit to, you do, you, like you said, you still have to submit to the, to the authority of Yahweh. Well, yeah. You know, but you are a sovereign, yeah, because you're supposed to choose to do right, and you're supposed to choose to follow Torah. Well, that, that kind of goes with God's character in general. We all have well, freedom it doesn't, to choose. It, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're an anarchist. It's not saying that at all. There's still governance. Yes. 
Well, it kind of reminds me of one of the tiles of our Savior, uh, King of Kings. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Good point. What do you have to say, Polly? out of Egypt where they are used to or accustomed to a culture where they have a pharaoh that makes decisions and they just kind of do what they're, you know, given assignments to do or told to do. Yep. So that whole thinking already is a foundation of where they've been. The second thing is what did they refer to Moses as? Because they looked now not to Pharaoh, but now they turn and look to Moses to kind of fill that position. And then... What do they refer to Moses? That's what I'm wondering. I, I'm trying to think what they refer to Moses because isn't it the wisdom that came to Moses or the counsel that came to Moses through his father-in-law was you're going to wear yourself out doing all this, a point for yourself, as you mentioned. Yeah. And I see Samuel did that. He was appointing his sons as judges. Uh-huh. It wasn't until they became wicked that the people demanded, now I see the word king being used. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But um, I'm not sure. That's what I was wondering. What did they refer to Moses as? Yeah. Is my question to well, you. Well, they never referred to him as king that I know of. Yeah. You mean, what did they refer to him when they didn't want to kill him? <laughs> when they weren't ready to stone him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, well, a, I, he's a stone catcher. These are, are good questions. And I, uh, you know, I, I don't have good answers necessarily. But I tell you what, I, I love that part in 1 Samuel chapter 8 where God tells them what's going to happen if they do this. So Because I, it's, just, it's just what government does. Can I go out on a limb? Yeah. I think this is what happened to America. They reversed this. Mm-hmm. They got rid of the king that was over them, like the, na- the king of the nations, King George, mm-hmm. and said, we're not doing that anymore. We're, we have the, and, and that's the, their authority to do it was because of Yeshua. Mm-hmm. So they undid 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's what I would argue. Okay. And, and you could actually argue that in general, well, I don't know. Let me say this and see if it comes out stupid. For, to a large degree, it, they weren't. It wasn't for they weren't, anar- If I use the term strongly governed. I mean, um, I think you could argue that a society, that we've even been one, that we could, we could exist without... Uh, a strong authority because we were self-governing. Exactly. And if you look up the Bobier's Dictionary, that's what a sovereign is. They make an exception for the United States that the citizens were the sovereigns. There was no sovereign king like the other nations. Yeah. So they did undo that. But you have to shomer that thing. You have to guard that. Yeah. It's easily to be taken away. Yeah. Well, it's easily given away. Problem. Well, exactly. Like they're always, doing here. Yeah, and there's problems. There's people that'll take it, obviously, always. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, interesting little section, I think. I think it's really uh, interesting that, you know, God says, okay, you can have a king, but he has to write a copy of the Torah and then read it all the time, all the days of his life. I mean, that would work if, if, <laughs> if a king did this. Um, consistently, the whole time, he would be humble. You know, he wouldn't necessarily want the things that the the that God says he should avoid: uh, great numbers of horses, or um, you know, get rich, or many wives. 
but yep. So I have a couple of questions. First one is, is he talking about you need to write this book, Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. or the whole Torah? That's a good question. I think it has been interpreted typically as Deuteronomy. Okay. But I don't know. Wouldn't I, be anything wrong with doing the whole Torah. No, absolutely sure. not. Absolutely not. The other thing is, if this is if this is if we're following a pattern here, if this pattern is this is for the king, whoever it is that's a king or has that capacity, is should do the, something like this. Yep. In other words, be a student of the of the of the Word of God, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if we are sovereigns and operate in the capacity of the king, it seems plausible to me that we should be doing that as well. Yep, I can buy that. I can buy that. I mean, I think the I well. The writing of it is one thing, but the reading of it is probably the most important. When well, you write it, you read it, but the, what we're doing is really that. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying what we're doing isn't, isn't that, but, uh, but write, yeah, I don't know about you, but when I write something down, oh, it's much, yeah. you, you, have to, you, you own it a lot more. Yes, that's true. No doubt about that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I knew this would be fun. Want to go on? Deuteronomy chapter 18. Um, would somebody like to read Deuteronomy 18 from the beginning through verse 8? Okay. There shall not be, there shall not be for the Kohanim, the Levites, the entire tribe of Levi, the portion and an inheritance with Israel, the fire offerings of Hashem, Hash, let me see, I'm sorry, the fire offerings of Hashem and his inheritance as he spoke to no, wait, and shall he eat? He shall not have an inheritance among his brethren. Yahweh is his inheritance as he spoke to him. This shall be due to the Kohanim from the people from who perform a slaughter, whether an ox or a flock of the flock of or of or of the flock, and he shall give the Kohen the foreleg, the jaw, and the maw, the first of your grain, wine, and oil, and he shall give the Kohen the foreleg. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm doing this. And the, the, and the first of the shearing of your flock you shall give him. For him has Hashem chosen among all the tribes to stand and minister in the name of Yehovah, um, him and his sons all the days. When the Levites will come, come, one of, come from one of your cities, from all Israel, where he sojourns, and he comes with the desire of his soul to place that Yahweh will the place that Yahweh will choose. Then he shall minister in the name of Yahweh as, as God, like all his brethren, the Levites, who stand there before Hashem. Portion for portion shall they eat, except that except for what was transacted by the forefathers. When you come to the land of Hashem, your God gives you, 
that's okay. That Hashem that, your God gives that's, you. That's all I really wanted to oh, okay. just that far for now. Okay, that, You finished verse 8, right? Yeah, I finished yeah. it. Okay, let's talk about that for just Sorry, a minute. Sorry, I was so discombobulated. <laughs> um, so what part of the land were the, were the Levites to receive? That's a trick question. <laughs> yep. The Gone. suburbs. Suburbs. <laughs> so how were the Levites then to make their living? Well, yes, that's not necessarily the tithes, but they had very specific things they got. Well, that whenever they did, um, other than a, a whole offering, there was, you remember back in Leviticus, it talked about whatever you do, like a, uh, an atonement offering or portion. They, they, it, and it taught specifically about the Levite gets the, the front foreleg and uh, whatever else it talked about here. So they got everything except for like whole burnt offerings, correct? It, they got something from all the offerings except the whole burnt offering, which was whole burnt. Right. You know, Yahweh took all of that. Yeah. Um, and they also got the, the first fruits, it says here. Um, so they had, um, they had some income, if you will, because typically that would be more than they needed to eat so they could sell some. And whatnot. So they, they, that's what they lived on. Yeah. So I was half kidding about the suburbs, but in the King James, it actually uses that word. Oh, be. Well, they did have, you know, every little town had, it's described, again, it's either in Numbers or Leviticus, there's a certain uh, measurement uh, around a town, and those are the fields that are given to the Levites. And the idea is, is that's where they keep the sheep that are being you know, waited, waiting to be slaughtered is where they'll grow uh, vegetables or whatever. So they have some ground, uh, but they don't have the large areas that the rest of the tribes had. They don't have a permanent yeah, they don't have a permanent portion. Yeah. Um, so this is the second paragraph, starting in verse six, is interesting says, if a Levite moves from one of your towns anywhere in Israel where he is living and comes in all earnestness, mine says, to the place Yahweh will choose. Now what, what all earnestness to the place Yahweh will choose? What else could you say about that? How else could you paraphrase that? You mean like Jerusalem? Well, yeah, that's the first thing. Where's the, the place that Yahweh will choose? Jerusalem. Right? And all earnestness. I'm looking here on the... You may have now if come and if Levi from any of thy gates whenever which he where he sojourned as you come with mm -hmm. all the desire mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. avat olive vav top that's almost like oat okay I let me tell you how I read it and I think it's you know I, this is my opinion if you got some you know Levite out in the hinterland um, you know away from Jerusalem. And he feels like, you know, um, I would like, and I think God's calling me to go and minister to him at the temple. Um, he can do that. that. That's what I think this is saying. If, if a Levite thinks that, uh, if a Levite moves from one of your towns anywhere in Israel where he's living and comes in all earnest as the place the Lord will choose, he may minister in the name of Yahweh his God like all his fellow Levites who serve there in the presence of Yahweh. In other words, if he wants to come 
and, and be a priest or a Levite in Jerusalem, he can do so. Right? And then it says he is to share equally in their benefits, even though he may have received money from the sale of family possessions. In other words, even though he may have had something out in this hinterland and sold, it, sold all his worldly goods so he could go to Jerusalem, he can still go and they are to treat him as an equal. That's what I read here, but you tell me if I'm wrong. Got a couple questions. Well, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but the word olivav tot, I, I just checked myself because I thought it meant that, but it means a sign. Tot is uh, ot. It, it's, it means a sign. Okay. Like it's a sign or, you know. A, okay, so I included in case you know, he feels God has led him to do this. That'd be a sign. Right, that would be. Mm -hmm. uh, Marvin, that's something. Would the current crew in Jerusalem that's doing that duty, would they accept him? Well, that, I think, is the whole point of this. They have to. They have to. That's what, yeah. that's what this says to me. Because I could see them going, wait, 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 wait. You know, who, who, who ordered, you know, what, what are you doing here? We only have enough for all of us here. We don't want to divide and add you to the mix. That makes all of our shares smaller. I mean, I, I can see some yo-yo doing that. But the, what I get out of this is God says don't do that. <laughs> That's what I get. But well, I could be wrong. If this word has, has an idea of meaning sign, then there must be a... It isn't, I just, I just have a strong desire to do that. It has to be some sort of... Something a little more than that. Yeah, something that you could, you know, that there's a sign. Well, um, if he went to, the, to his buddies in Jerusalem and said... Hi, I'm here to join ranks with you and help you with what you do because God told me to come. They'd say, really? What'd he say? He says, well, there was this burning bush, for example. I mean, you know, he, he may have to have a sign. I don't know. I'm making this up. But I, I, you know, he, he'd need to have something other than, oh, I think I'll go over and do that for a while. I mean, you know, he'd, I don't know. I, I kind of, I don't know. It, it's verse... Uh, 6, 7, and 8. The sign thing, our earnestness comes in verse 6. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Well, I say all earnestness would be the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think this is a big critical point. Just something to read, right? Something to noodle on. Let's go on. Uh, somebody want to read? There's a little short section, section verse 9 through 13. Then we'll, then we'll get to a more interesting part. Yes. Okay. I don't know how many of us here have eaten the ma, and that's uh, the fourth stomach, the menudo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> huh? Well, the ma is the stomach, like the fourth stomach. Yeah, that's what it, mine says, the intestines. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the stomach. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much menudo. Yeah, menudo. Which is a... <laughs> 
Mexican <laughs> stew, Levite stew. Levite <laughs> stew. <laughs> Huh? Yeah. Does somebody want to read verses 9 through 13? Okay, I will. Okay, you'll let me. It says, verse 9, When you enter the land that Yahweh your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to Yahweh, and because of these detestable practices, Yahweh your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before Yahweh your God. So, again, this is not like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before, right? We've, we've run into that at least four or five, maybe more times in what we've done previously in the Torah. So is there anything in this list that kind of stands out to you? Well, <clears throat> yeah. he says, because the people in the land now are doing these things, that's why they're being yeah. kicked out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's the, what I got out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, he's the... I'm not trying to come down on them, but they have no excuse for not knowing what's going to happen to them if they do these things. Because they're, what's going to happen to them is what they've done to the people they're going into. You know? They've been given full disclosure. They've been, they, yeah. Yeah. So one of the ones that's always particularly abhorrent to me is uh, anyone who sacrifices a son or daughter in the fire. That's got to be one of the, the grossest things. Yeah, I mean, just uh, there's no way... I remember one time reading a very, you know, there's a lot of biblical historical fiction that runs around. And I remember reading a story about some mother who went through this. And, you know, one of the things that's, that really bugs me about people that think there's, truth is relative, is that, you know, a mother's desire to take care of her offspring is something that, yeah, it's built in. It, if, you, if you ever create a situation, if any society creates a situation in which they try to convince a mother that she shouldn't do this, they're clearly going against God and nature. You know? Um, and yet that's what this is. So I don't know what some of these things are. Do you know what? Uh, let's look it up. Yeah, let's look it up. Verse 10. Cast spells. I don't know what that is. Who is a medium or a spiritist? What, 10 or 11? 11. A spellcaster is Chaver. Charmer. Some of these, I guess, are just not clear to me. But I'm convinced that probably most of that stuff is going on today. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, like a seance kind of a deal, right? Yeah. You know, with all this stuff in Hollywood that's been coming out, it's also coming out that they've been sacrificing children and and eating Who, them. Who's they? Some of the people in Hollywood, and and you know, well, I'm that's just pretty, that's pretty hard to believe. I mean, to well, me, the sacrificing children looks like abortion. Well, some people have. Well, I think it is too, but I mean, they've also been. Some people have been coming out and saying that they've seen it happening. Some of the stars that have seen it. 
And I think it's just interesting because, you know, people just get so deceived. Mm -hmm. They get so into their own whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Their own egos or their own... Well, I don't know what it is either, but it's... It's evil. Yep, yep, there you go. Mm -hmm. Margaret had something. Verse 10, is that, there's the other words in verse 10. There's a bunch of odd ones there. Yeah, I was just wondering if, if a hypnotist, hypnotist would be a caster of spells. Yeah, that could be. Seems like that could be. they kind of can direct you yeah. to do whatever, you, whatever they say. Sure, sure. That, that kind of fits, yeah. Well, if there's nothing else, I think... To finish, it would be really good to finish the chapter and look at verse 14 to the end of the chapter because that's kind of an important little section and it's fun to talk about. So, since everybody's excited about this, I'll read it. <laughs> Starting in verse 14. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, Yahweh your God has not permitted you to do so. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him, for this is what you ask of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of Yahweh our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. Yahweh said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what the prophet proclaims in the name of Yahweh does not take place or come true, that message Yahweh has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. I think that's very interesting. First of all, there are many um, somewhat oblique references to the Messiah in the previous things we've read in the Torah. But man, this one's right in your face. And I, right? <laughs> yeah. So I went, I changed the format to the, on my, the website up there. Mm -hmm. And I just for fun did a search on the Olive Taws. Yep. And uh, there's one in... There's a bunch of them, you can see them colored, but these, like right here, mm -hmm. they're not standalone. That's got iPhone on it, that's got letters in front of it. But this one is, in verse 19, 18. 18, yeah. I think there's another one, too. So I just wanted to show you that. Okay. It says, I will raise up from them... For them, a prophet like you from among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded him. I command him. That's what that verse says. So the all of Tav then, this, this one in 18 is, it's between, and he will speak unto all of them, all of Tav, all that I have commanded. 18. 18, 18. Deuteronomy. Yes. But like I say, to me, that's an excellent description 
of uh, the Messiah. And if you want to look in Acts chapter 3, Okay, go for it. I think I, this answers the question I had. What did they refer to or what was Moses referred to? Because he refers to himself here in what you just read as a prophet. And the father also refers to him as a prophet. I will raise up a prophet like you. Yeah. So I guess that was his title. That, a prophet. That's a good point. Yep. Yep. Back in um, verse, I've been doing some study here so I'm catching up but um, back in verse 8 uh, to chapter 18 verse um, 6 uh, Lisa had commented on this word desires that it was the Aleph Vav and the Aleph Vav and the Tav mm-hmm. it actually is desire and it's used as desire in about 10 other places. I was stunned too when I looked at it. I was like, what? Desires? I'd never seen it like that. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is I've always said, when Yeshua said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he literally could have said, I am the Aleph, Vav, Tav, because that would mean Aleph, Vav means and, and yes. Tav. But he could also have been saying, I am the desire of all. Because the scripture says that he is the desire of all nations and the heavens. There's a remember I talk about the constellation that says the desired the desire of the nations shall come. So uh, yeah. there's a little twist to this alpha and omega thing. It kind of fits. Yeah. So these are really powerful verses. Yep, they are. Um, Fifteen. Let me go back to the English. English only. Come on. <laughs> English. So, Yahweh thy, will, Yahweh thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet in the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Uh, uh, like me, that's what mine says. Yahweh so who will, is me? Well, it's Moses. Is it Moses or yeah. is it God? No, no, because Moses is speaking. But then it says in, in verse 15, it says, Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me. So Moses is saying, Yahweh, your God, will raise up a prophet for you like me. Well, King, I'm just looking at the King James. Yahweh, thy guy, God, will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of you, of thy brethren, like unto me. It's, I don't see how it can be anything but Moses. The me is referring to Moses. He's well, saying prophet in, like me. In contrast to 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among thy brethren like unto you. No, it's not God talking here. I know it's not God talking, but Moses is talking for God on his behalf. Well, okay, if that makes it more clear to you, that's all right. Well, maybe I'm stretching it. That's fine. I'm just trying to say. Well, yeah, my my point is he's more than, maybe it's a stretch, (laughs) but maybe he's saying he's 
it's more than a, just a man. Because Moses doesn't make it in the prophet. You know, he's, he fails at the end. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't make it in the promised land. Okay. So there's someone better even than Moses who's, like, who's, who's deity, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I was going to refer to Acts 3.22, just to read that and kind of put this. Um, Acts chapter 3 is where um, Moses is, uh, gets his, I don't know, Moses has come into his uh, own in terms of preaching, if you will, and he's talking to a bunch of onlookers, they're Jewish people, um, Acts chapter 3. Peter. Did I say? I said the wrong. Peter. I meant Peter. Excuse me. I knew that word came out wrong. Sorry about that. This, hey, listen. You guys are going to get old someday. So. He really lived a long time. <laughs> Verse 17. This is Peter talking. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he has foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshment may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Yeshua. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. So that's a direct reference, direct reference to this, this passage we're reading in Deuteronomy. So why, why, why will they, who, who won't listen to him? If they don't listen to him, they will be cut off from his people. If the house of Israel does not listen to the one who takes away the bill of divorce, there is no more option for them. That's true. Is that a fair reading of what that's saying there? If that's his target audience? Yep. I don't see how you can read it any other way. Yeah, I agree with that. But there's some pretty meaty stuff in Deuteronomy, huh? Chapter 3.22. I find it rather interesting that the reason that God does this is because they don't want to speak directly to God themselves yeah. Yeah. and That's see his face that they were afraid. Yep. And so God says, okay, this is what we'll do. This is the way it's going to work. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because whenever you're reading the, the thing he refers to, it's over in Exodus chapter 19. 20 or 19 where the, the Ten Commandments are given. And God has told Moses, tell the people to clean up and, you know, and sanctify themselves and come stand around the bottom of the mountain and I'll meet with them tomorrow. And then smoke and everything and they hear him. And it sounds like this really loud trumpet, you know. And the people are just scared to death. And they tell Moses at the time, they say, look, you go talk to him and we'll do whatever you say he says. Because if we listen to this any longer, we're going to die. Well, which they didn't do anyway, but the point is, is the people uh, were just scared. 
they were just scared to death. Yeah. Well, so God comments on that. And yeah, he says right here. that No, no. I'm yep. back back then. He says it is tov, it is good. Yeah. That's what he, he says, says here too. Okay, but I'm just saying that they're, they they well, by what they're doing, they're setting into motion this what what Peter's talking about here and what he's and what yep. Moses has talked about on Deuteronomy. I give you that. That's a very good point. That's a good point. So uh, by virtue of the well, fact we that they go, wouldn't meet with God, if we wanted, everything else then gets to play out the way we've read it. God said that was good. He didn't say, oh, I'm disappointed in them for sending up yeah, a representative. Yeah. He said it was good. Yeah. Yeah. He says, this works. It's like, that's okay. This is exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> it's kind of what he's saying. Okay. We've gone over a little bit, but I appreciate this. This has been a fun one. And see our Hanukkah candles have burned down? So I saw the smoke. It doesn't take long. All right. So I'll close in prayer, okay? Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this uh, celebration of Hanukkah. Thank you for studying your Torah. Thank you for how much is really, really in here. Help us to think on these things as we go through the coming week and just teach them to uh, teach us to apply them to our lives. Keep us safe until we meet on Friday and Shabbat. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you, Jerry.